Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. We have a very different sort of passage in this episode to cover, and it is found in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. The first line of this passage has perplexed everybody for years, as nobody knows what these two events actually were. Obviously, Luke had an audience that would have known of these things, but we've got little to work with today. We can surmise that these events would have been Jerusalem-based. Sacrifices were done at the temple, and Pilate's residence was very close to that precinct. Pontius Pilate was known to be a pretty volatile guy, and Rome probably picked him for the task because of this part of his character. There was a pool called Siloam, which is spoken of in John's Gospel, and it is located to the south of Jerusalem. The tower may have been part of that structure. That's about all we can say about those two instances. But what it does provide for us is a useful backdrop for another discussion between the disciples and Jesus. The passage indicates a belief among first century Jews that severe cases of sickness and calamity came about because of the sinfulness of the person who succumbed to it. The answer Jesus offers speaks directly to that thinking, even if it is not clearly being offered as a question in this case. However, that theological question does appear elsewhere. John chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 says this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It wasn't a new concept for just that time either. It had been extensively thought through and grappled with by previous generations of God-fearers. The book of Job is a classic and extensive look at how God was viewed in such circumstances. There were also a handful of Old Testament verses to seemingly back up the thoughts of the rabbis as well. The tumultuous birth of twins Jacob and Esau was believed by some rabbis to be one trying to kill the other even in the womb, and the lifetime of angst between is said to have started in infancy. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 speaks of generations being made to pay for the sin of a wicked and idolatrous patriarch. God actually said that he would repay the sinful who rebelled and hated him to the third and fourth generation. So the theory of such a mindset certainly had at least a little bit of merit. But in practice, it was a whole other matter. In fact, when the theory got real, it actually came across as a really nasty thought process. Putting this theory into practice meant that some unfortunate people, no matter how godly they were, must have somehow found themselves in the bad books with God. It suggested that some Galileans getting murdered by the Roman governor and therefore the victims of crime were being held to account by God. Even a man born blind and forced to beg for income was fair game in this system. 
the national religion would do nothing more than speculate on what he did, even as an infant, to deserve what he got. Instead of mercy and grief, there was gleeful speculation and scuttlebutt among the religious elite. Instead of grieving the deaths of unfortunate accidents, the religious ones were looking for the sinful and punishable elements of what made this happen to them. Imagine how a modern investigation into the tower collapse may have gone down in that thinking. Imagine a workplace safety inquiry. So, what caused the tower to collapse? Poor building materials? Bad foundations? Shifting ground? No, sir. They must have really sinned before God. Pretty silly when you think of it that way, right? The Pharisees have been a bit maligned over the Gospels, so we have come to expect a degree of disconnect from the people and their real needs, so it's not all that surprising if it comes from them. The account in John's Gospel is more disturbing though. We have Jesus' followers who have seen him work and do great things for quite some time now, some for at least a couple of years. And even they get caught up in all this religious speculation. The ones who knew that the blindness could be healed and that this man could get his life back were themselves acting no better. This means Jesus has a rather strong cultural and faith-affecting issue before him in this teaching. The religious elite held a rather dim view of God in the midst of pain and suffering and were only adding to the pain. Their indoctrination was so complete that even the disciples of Jesus who knew otherwise would still get caught up in the lie. It had gotten so bad that those who drew such conclusions were themselves unable to see their own sin. They were unable to see the possibility that their behavior also attracted the attention of a holy, righteous God. So instead of trying to determine how one person could be considered more evil or cursed or sinful than another, Jesus calls for all of humanity to repent. Because no matter how we weigh up morality and who does it worse or better, all people outside of God's will will face the real risk of perishing in eternity. It was another case of the people misreading the spiritual weather conditions around them, looking at the calamity and downfall of others, pondering a little too much about what God thought about them and how that played into their earthly demise, and ignoring their own sins and attitudes and position before God in the process. A new culture, a new mindset needed to emerge among God's people. And true to form, this called for another parable. We will check that out in the next episode. But first, let's consider what has been said so far. I see some challenges for us all in this teaching. I see the challenge to never judge the heart of a person based on the circumstances they face. I also see the challenge to not judge the state of your own salvation or your own position before God through the circumstances you are facing too. These are both deeply superstitious perspectives, far removed from the heart of God. The Jews indicated belief that a guy sinned even as an unborn or newly born infant to become blind. They believed a tower fell on 18 people because God herded 18 evil people together and got them all with one blow. But that is not how Jesus interpreted these events and their outcomes. I feel to bring this out because this theological outlook has been pushed hard in some circles even today, and it's done some terrible damage. Some people experiencing illness have at some point received prayer by pastors who may be a little too result-driven in their ministry outlook. And then they are told they haven't been healed because there's sin in their deep past that they haven't dealt with. Or that their greatest sin is their lack of faith to be healed. I believe these outlooks are abusive and out of step with the teaching of Jesus. 
There are others who have held this view in light of their own issues in life and are to some degree paralyzed by that thought process, constantly seeking for hidden sins that may well not be there. Friend, if this is you, where did that thought process come from? Who told you these things? It wasn't Jesus. I would invite you to reevaluate your convictions on this matter and consider afresh who you are in Christ. And perhaps you've been a person who has offered ministry in this mindset. Friend, please don't do that. I honestly get it. There is a lot of human nature stuff that can lead to this way of thinking. And just as it was ingrained in Jesus' immediate disciples, it can be equally ingrained in us. But I'm hoping you can see it now for the superstitious perspective that it is. With all that said, the teaching comes with a clear warning for all people. All must repent not just those who were seemingly in line for some sort of calamity or tragedy. It's much easier to look at others and their circumstances and surmise how they got there than it is to look deeply at our own lives in the non-tragic times. If we find ourselves looking at others and determining the value of their faith or their spirituality without taking an even closer look at ours, then this is definitely something that needs to be addressed. I pray that as you do, your perspective will be more aligned with the heart of Jesus, where your view of yourself and others are both set right, free from judgment, free from unnecessary presumption, free from sinful superstition, and full of mercy towards others. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to put up a rating and even a comment if your platform allows for it, as this will help others know what to expect. I look forward to catching up next time.